of the Sensibly Speaking podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you for more podcasting greatness here on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever good podcasts are sold, and of course with video here on YouTube. And as you can see, I have shaved my uh, <laughs> my little goatee uh, as I am wont to do as the new year begins. We are ushering in 20. 20- 21, and in fact, I am talking to you uh, here recording this on New Year's Day. Here we are. We survived. If you're listening to this, then somehow you made it through 2020, as did I, despite every reason not to, and there seemed to be a legion of such reasons (laughs) this year. It was a pretty wild ride, and I pulled um, some quotes and some information and some things from Tony Ortega's blog and various other places on the interwebs because I wanted to sort of do another year in review episode as we are like want to do at the end of the year, beginning of the new year. We've been doing this for a few years now, and I have always um, learned something and been been uh, happy to take the time to put the year in perspective and look back on some of what we might have been thinking were our hopes and dreams in January 2020 and where did we actually get to and where are we at now. Um, I had very, very different ideas for where I would be right now uh, at the beginning of 2020. I did not imagine this year was going to roll out the way that it did at all. Um, As Dickens says, uh, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, it was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness, it was the epic of belief, it was the epic of incredulity, it was the season of light, it was the season of darkness, it was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. I think those are all incredibly uh, relevant quotes for 2020, even though those were actually written back during the time uh, right before the French Revolution. So uh, funny how uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it echoes, I believe, is the Mark Twain quote, or somebody said something like that, and I think that's very true. I think that uh, there isn't anything we're seeing under the sun, moon, and stars now that we have not seen in the past before and somehow gotten through. But of course, in my more pessimistic moments, I do wonder whether we have a future as a species with some of the silliness we get up to. But I, I don't want to be nihilistic. I want to be optimistic. And so that's how I will approach this 2020 review here, all right? We had a lot of wild and wacky stuff happen, but there was some good in between some of the bad. There was some hope in between some of the despair. And there are many reasons now to look forward with, um, you know, eyes on the stars, even if um, some of our hopes might be in the mud a little bit. I think we can aspire to better than what we have seen this last year if we can, you know, learn some lessons Uh, which I'm trying to do, and trying to help as best I can to spread whatever, you know, psychological insights, epiphanies, inspiration, help, whatever I can spread um, to help the general situation, and that's what I'm trying to do here. 
So let's go ahead and just go through the breakdown here of this year and see where we were at and where we've arrived to. If you can hearken back to those halcyon days of January 2020, Oh, but what was that, about a decade ago? <laughs> and remember Reckless Ben and Mike? They were actually getting going with trolling Scientology, or really infiltrating Scientology in Los Angeles, back in January. This is when we first started hearing about them, seeing their videos being posted. Of course, I eventually interviewed them, which is later on in the timeline. But January is when they started uh, appearing. And that was a real, that was fun. That was interesting. It was very, very educational. Because these were two guys who actually got into the Church of Scientology with glasses and recording devices, that glasses that could visual, that could record video, and, um, and the church members didn't know. And they recorded a Dianetic session. They recorded a Sunday service. They recorded a sales, uh, what we call a, a, a reg cycle, when you sit down with the registrar and they're going to sell you services. They recorded a recruitment interview where a person I used to know uh, in the Sea Org tried to recruit Ben and tell him all about these wild conspiracy theories and get into some interesting stuff. So that was all on video. And I, I, I don't know if they're still up. I believe that the church um, interfered in such a way that eventually these videos were, uh, were messed with a little bit. I, I, I'm not totally sure about that, but I do know that they are not doing anything more with Scientology now, but the exposure that they brought was awesome. Okay, so we start kind of started the year on that footing, and um, also uh, January was the was a time when I got to finally talk to a former um, uh, involvee participant. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, member staffer even of the Landmark Forum, and uh, the Landmark Forum, of course, is a cultic activity. It is very very much uses cultic uh, influence and undue influence techniques on people in order to create epiphanies and get them all uh, signed up and everything. And it's a business kind of thing, not a religious thing, but it's still culty as hell. And it actually comes from, its roots are in Est, the old Earhart seminar trainings, remember those from the 70s? And Est, of course, was an offshoot or was a derivative of Scientology, which, of course, is a derivative of many other things before it. But like, quite openly, blatantly ripping off Scientology. I mean, the original Est seminars were actually using Scientology materials as part of the initial workshops that was that blatant of a ripoff. And gradually over the years, Est became um, land or forum, and then the forum, and then landmark forum, and now it's landmark. And anyway, uh, just more culty nonsense. But we got to do a real long, deep dive into that, and um, and that podcast was also in January. Now, interesting, the biggest thing kind of going down over the Scientology watching world over 2020 was cases related to Danny Masterson. And there are two sets of cases on this. There are civil suits and there is a, there is a criminal case. And um, the criminal case, of course, is, uh, is Masterson was indicted for four uh, counts of uh, forceful rape. 
Um, and, you know, we, of course, believe that he is guilty as sin and, uh, and that the church aided and abetted him in covering it up and trying to intimidate and uh, stop the women who uh, Asterson allegedly raped. Uh, stop them from coming forward, intimidate them, harass them. And one of the ways that this harassment was done was revealed on January 21st. This was from Tony Ortega's blog. I will be quoting from his blog throughout the show here, um, where he wrote, someone, this is a quote from the blog, someone tossed rat poison wrapped up in some ground beef over the fence into the yard at the home of Chrissy Carnell Bixler and her husband, Cedric Bixler Zavala and their dog, Biscuit, took the bait. Cedric went public that he'd had to put the beloved dog down, and he had no doubt who was behind the intentional pet poisoning. The previous August, Chrissy and Cedric had joined three women who were suing Scientology and Danny Masterson over what they claim is an ongoing harassment campaign since the women came forward with rape allegations against Masterson, that 70s show actor. All right, so um, just unpacking that a little bit, we have uh, a harassment campaign. Now, Scientology has a long, dirty, disgusting history of uh, flexing its strong arm via private investigators, lawyers, any other scumbags who are happy to take the church's money and do whatever the church wants them to do and park their moral compass at the door if they even have one. This is the, these kind of activities are what these women are trying to get the church to stop doing. And so far they have been um, wholly unsuccessful in that effort. It is really, really hard to take an organization like the Church of Scientology to task without direct evidence of uh, how they are harassing. I mean, here we have a case where poor Chrissy and Cedric lost their dog, and this isn't the only one. And uh, where this kind, this direct kind of intimidation is being done, but you can't prove it's Scientology, so there's no real justice potential offered there. And the police are really kind of um, stuck. They really, even if they all believe you, what, you know, who do they go down to at the church and who do they arrest and how do they figure this stuff out? Like, it's, it's damn near impossible. And this is how Scientology and these destructive cults get away with this, is they twist and corrupt our rights and our civil liberties, and they um, take advantage of our system of laws that are meant to protect the innocent, and they uh, use them and advantage them and leverage, leverage them so that they can get away with this kind of nasty, bullying, grade school kind of behavior. It's really second grade mentality stuff. But this is what the Church of Scientology prides itself on doing because it wants to take out what it thinks are its enemies. And it does it through these low ball, underhanded means because they are evil people when it comes to how they've gone to, you know, this extremist mindset where they anything, any kind of behavior is justified in order to take out your enemy. That's Scientology, and that is that is the, the extremist mindset. So we saw evidence of that going down as beginning in January last year there with this ongoing harassment campaign. And actually then connected with that, um, what well, sort of connected with that, not, not directly connected to the Masterson case, but also another Scientology case, a civil case that was being brought 
against the church, and this is one that we will see the steps of as it went through the year, was Valerie Haney's case. Now, um, and and we have done podcasts about this. I've talked with a, a lawyer about this and in detail. He went through all the papers and everything about this. But all the way back to January is when we got the first big blow in this Valerie Haney case. This was supposed to be the first of a series of lawsuits that were going to be brought against Scientology by former members um, for uh, going after, and this one was going after, you know, all the way up to Miscavige, in order to show the world and expose that, you know, this group is abusive, they do leverage the law, they do leverage um, psychological and, um, and physical abuse and that kind of thing against their members. So, unfortunately, what ended up happening here is the months, in January 30th, again, this is from Tony's blog, the month's biggest and most shocking news came on its second-to-last day when we learned that Los Angeles Superior Court Judge Richard Burge had granted Scientology's motion to deny Valerie Haney a right to trial and force her into Scientology's brand of religious arbitration. Although Valerie was alleging that she'd been harassed and libeled by Scientology after leaving her position as a Sea Org worker, Burge decided that she was still under the obligations of an agreement she signed as she left the church. She would spend the rest of 2020 trying to overturn Burge's decision. And we'll cover a couple more points when that comes up. But yeah, that was uh, right from the get-go. This religious arbitration defense was uh, contract law defense has been utilized by Scientology quite successfully this year. The reason why we've come to learn is because the lawyers concerned with this did not really have their shit together. And apparently it appears they um, did not even really think through a competent legal strategy that would uh, prepare for and deal with this defense by Scientology. And so this is why poor Valerie has been sort of dragged around this year on this, and it's not been fun to watch or experience as a former Scientologist, because I'm well aware that everything she's saying is absolutely true, absolutely happened. I have no question about it. And yet uh, the court assumes, uh, as is the court's way, that if a contract is signed, it is signed in good faith, that the church will execute a religious arbitration in good faith, that they will provide a fair hearing for her, and that they will then, then Valerie, if she gets that and is not satisfied with it, could come back to the court, uh, is one strategy here. But um, we already know from Luis Garcia and his fraud case a couple of years ago that Scientology does not operate in good faith, is not going to provide a, an, a fair an equitable hearing, and that the Scientologists involved will run a kangaroo court, because it's the only kind of court Scientology knows how to run. That's just destructive cult 101. But the judge and the courts don't know that. They're not aware of that, and the lawyers for Valerie and these other cases where this comes up are not doing a very good job of notifying the court or prepping the court for why it is that this religious arbitration should not be done and is in fact an inherently unfair process that is going to just be a kangaroo court. 
this could be presented in a court of law to a judge and shown with the church's policies and with various experiences and depositions, et cetera, or, you know, whatever evidence that they would need to, to put there, they could make a case that this is not a good idea and this is not something that the Church of Scientology should get away with, but no one's done that yet, at least according to the analysis we've done this year on this case. So that's why this happened, or at least that's one reason why this happened. And uh, we've been messing around with and watching this unfortunate thing happen all year long. All right, now we move forward to February. Now, February, there was good news for us in that there was an OT8, a highest level Scientologist, completely imploded. This guy was a dentist out in Maryland. His name is Neil Woods. And he was unmasked as a sadistic medical disaster. This guy was bad news, and he had left a trail of maimed and desperate patients. Again, I'm quoting from Tony's blog here. While the local news reporting on his business cratering with angry patients outside demanding justice. I mean, imagine how bad a dentist has to be for that to happen. So these guys are outside demanding justice, and of course, this is an OT8. One of the most ethical people on the planet, according to L. Ron Hubbard in the Church of Scientology. So how is this even possible? Well, it shouldn't be. Uh, but um, we don't know yet whether he will actually be facing criminal charges. But this implosion was reported on February 6th. And this is exactly the kind of thing we're going to see more instances of through the year where high-level Scientologists get involved in legal and financial shenanigans of, uh, of some importance, I mean, real criminal activity, and they get busted for it. And we have seen this, uh, Jeffrey Augustine has been reporting on this for years on the Scientology Money Project uh, blog, which you can check out. There is all kinds of details about this, as well as on Tony's blog. We see this happen over and over again. These guys get into the mindset that Scientology is the only thing that matters, they, they are the only thing that matters, and the system and the world outside and taxes and 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 the social contract and obligations you might have to you know the society around you, none of that matters. None of that's important. Important. The only thing that matters is you and your relationship with Scientology. And as crazy as that sounds, it that is the us versus them mentality that they work so hard to create in these uh, in these kind of groups. And that's how these high level guys start feeling more and more empowered to act in completely criminal ways. They just think that they have the right to do that because they are the ones who are in the driver's seat. They are the ones who are cause as Scientologists. It's a really, it really messes with your, with your morality and your, your sense of, of, of personal ethics and right and wrong. It, it's, it's really quite something. Um, now we've also got, oh yes, this poor case also. On, also in February, there was another legal decision with Scientology Uh, Jane Doe. We never did get this woman's name, nor do we need to know it. Uh, She is a young woman who was suing Scientology in Miami because she claimed she was being sexually molested as a child employee. And she was uh, facing a motion by the church to deny her right to trial and force her into religious arbitration. They were using that defense again. This has been very, very successful for them. And remember that Again, unless the court is given good reason to think otherwise, the court is going to assume 
that the church's religious arbitration is a fair process. And that is why they, they will kick the can down over to that because people sign contracts saying, yeah, I agree, I'll do that. Not knowing, of course, because they did not really have fully informed consent when they signed those contracts and they did not understand that they would be railroaded. So that was the same case with this poor woman. It seemed stunning, but as Tony says here at the time, can Scientology convince the court that a woman with child molestation claims is merely another religious contract dispute? Apparently they can, and they did. Uh, also in February, I got to sit down with Reckless Ben and Mike, and we went over in detail their misadventures and adventures with the church and what they had gotten up to. And in fact, shortly after that podcast is when they did their final episode where they rented some lighting equipment and actually broadcast uh, some words on the, uh, I think, fake or something, or, or, or I can't remember exactly what they put over Scientology there, but it uh, it was it was quite a little awesome uh, anti-Scientology demonstration, and and good on them for what they did. Um, okay, now there was oh yes on the under the umbrella of fair game in February, it was also reported that Scientology was still up to their shenanigans because imagine this. Okay, so Chrissy and Cedric um, have their dog poisoned and has to be put down. Well, 10 days after reporting on that, Tony reports on a near-fatal poisoning of the dog of Bobette Realis, and that dog's name was Jet. And um, and Bobette is also a plaintiff in this civil lawsuit against Danny Masterson. You don't say. Two of the defendants in this case had their dogs poisoned. I wonder what possibly could have been behind that. Uh, Bobette noted that the church in its court papers sneered at the claims in the lawsuit, saying that these were common incidents in urban life. And uh, Bobette says, urban life. I've lived in 19 countries. I speak three languages. I'm 40 years old. The things I've been going through have never happened to me before. It's getting worse and worse. This is, unfortunately, the price that has to be paid when you take on Scientology legally, is they will come after you, and it is no holds barred. And uh, unfortunately, these poor women have been receiving no real help from the courts uh, in terms of relief, and that is a real shame. Also in February, at the end of that month, we did that three-part bang-up live interview right here in this room with uh, Christina Richardson who drove out here and I sat down with her and we did a real uh, little tour de force of her experience with Scientology over many years out in California. So that interview happened then. So still getting the word out there on this channel about the Scientology experience and what people go through with these groups. Um, Now in March though, we've also been expanding our view out and we started looking at SJWs and some of the problems on the left. We also interviewed a woman who was part of a a Hindu cult um, at NKT, and um, uh, those were very, very interesting. And in March is when, of course, COVID started coming into our lives in a really serious and impactful way. 
This is when uh, we really started hearing that we were facing a global problem of magnitude. And unfortunately, as we all know, and I am not going to go into belaboring this point in the podcast here, we um, did not really meet the challenge head on with an effective strategy from our fearless leaders. And it was real catch as catch can. And it was there were uh, hypocrisies and problems and issues from day one, a lot of denial, a, a lot of nonsense. And, um, and that led to way many more deaths than really needed to happen as far as we can tell. So March 13th is when Miscavige in Scientology issues his new IG network bulletin 88 called Current Scene and talks to Scientologists about this planetary bull bait that they are now facing uh, with orgs having to comply with regulations that are now calling for less people in enclosed spaces and social distancing. And this is when masks started becoming a thing. And the church's response to this was to roll out this whole cleaning program because if there was one thing L. Ron Hubbard was quite rabid about, it was having clean spaces. Um, no scents, no, no smelly stuff in the uh, cleaning agents, and everything is to be spotless and scentless. That is the Sea Org standard of cleaning. They even have a class, a course that you take as part of the Sea Org boot camp where you do a cleaning course. I actually learned quite a bit about how to clean, how to dust, how to polish brass, how to uh, you know clean all kinds of things uh, doing that class. Nothing particularly wrong with cleaning. But it was the only thing Scientologists could think of to do to somehow put up an appearance in the public front that they were doing something effective and helpful and useful to the society around them by going around and cleaning their buildings. Um, it was a little silly. It was very unnecessary, and um, and yet it was all they could really think of. Um and so they, of course, also had to start shutting down their events. And this has probably been, if I was going to look back and say what was the single most damaging thing to Scientology this last year, despite their legal victories, this was actually probably more damaging to Scientology than even if, they, if those legal victories had been won. And that was that they had to close orgs. They had to board them up, shut them down, and there's more stories coming on that as we go through the year. But it was quite interesting how those events had to shut down, and that's not a good thing for Scientology. David Miscavige must go out on a stage, and he must keep the indoctrination going. He has to keep the good news and the false statistics and the false successes. He has to keep pushing those out and basically pumping up Scientologists on a, on a regular basis. Every couple months, they do these events, and they... Um, Tried and you know as we've gone over and they and they pump out a bunch of nonsense and and keep the uh, morale and spirits of Scientologists high, and they have not been able to do that this year and that has I am absolutely sure with no real I don't have any sort of evidence I can point to I'm just saying from my knowledge and experience of this stuff both as a Scientologist and staff member but also in all the study I've been doing since. I am quite sure that they have lost quite a few members, and they have been probably um, 
pumping up a lot of video work over the year on YouTube. We've been seeing videos of internal Scientology events, Sunday services. Um, very, there was a video from a Scientology school that was posted by a young woman. Um, I mean, all kinds of video work coming out on YouTube that we never were seeing before this year as these Scientologists are desperately trying to disseminate, get the word out about Scientology and tell people about it. And I think this is overcompensation on their part. Like they're so desperate now that they're actually even going on YouTube because they cannot get, they can't body route. They have not been able to bring people in uh, off the street, of course, for obvious reasons. Uh, they've been boarding up their organizations. So uh, I think that has been, and I've been asked many times over this year about some of these videos and why are we seeing these things now. These Charlie Wakeley is a staff member in London who's been posting videos and other Scientologists have been. And I think that's why. Um, okay. And of course, in March, we had some of the best news of the year because Mark Bunker was elected to the Clearwater City Council, and he is avidly, um, you could say, realistically against Scientology, understands exactly what they are about, and now that he's on the Clearwater City Council, he's doing everything he can to, to help that city out uh, with its Scientology problem. Hey everyone, I wanted to take this opportunity to talk to you about a service that I am endorsing and that I truly, truly believe in. And that service is called BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp. And they are av available through BetterHelp.com. And this is a service that connects you with a licensed professional counselor online so you can get help with depression, anxiety, stress, or just somebody to talk to in this very, basically, very troubled times that we're living in right now. It is not easy to get out there in the big wide world right now. It is not easy to get out and see therapists or counselors. It is not easy to find counselors or therapists who can help you. And this is what BetterHelp was designed to assist you with. The simplicity of this is you go to the site, you sign up, Actually, you use the link <laughs> that I have provided below, uh, which is betterhelp.com slash Chris Shelton, and you get signed up. And this can be for as little as $40 a week, and they actually even have uh, financial aid available. You enter some information, fill out a questionnaire about yourself, and you get hooked up with a counselor that will help you out. And this can be via text, via voice, or via a video. Okay, any one of those. It's up to you and your comfort level. And if the therapist that you get connected with isn't doing the job that you feel you need, you can ask for and get a different counselor. So there are a lot of options for you in this, and it is really something that I think a lot of my viewers should be taking advantage of. I have talked often about the need for or the help that you can get through professional counseling. Sometimes you need somebody who really does know what they're doing and not just a friend or family member to listen. And that's why this service is something that I am happy to put out there for you guys. So again, use the link below, betterhelp.com slash Chris Shelton. That is in the description to this video. And I hope that you um, can get the help that you might need from this service. Let me know how it goes. April. Okay, now April, you might remember we had 
uh, the beginning of the lockdowns, the beginning of the nonsense, and uh, the Tiger King. Remember that? <laughs> so we did an episode on the cult of the Tiger King. And we also commented on April 5th about Whoopi Goldberg committing the celebrity gaffe of the year by endorsing Narcanon. I mean, Tom Cruise's uh, leaked audio was a pretty big celebrity gaffe, too. But, um, it, of course, we expect that kind of nonsense out of Tom Cruise, not out of the likes of Whoopi Goldberg, who really uh, opened her mouth and stuck her foot in all the way to the knee, uh, endorsing Narcanon. Huge, huge stupidity. Also in April, we did some championship podcasting, if I say so myself, on the subject of the uh, occult and its ties to Scientology, taking it all the way back to the uh, Aleister Crowley's group, the Ordo Tempi Orientis, or OTO, and going back even further to Madame Blavatsky and the spiritualism movement of the late, 19, late 1800s and early 1900s, turn of the century, and um, the belief set that Blavatsky herself had plagiarized from even earlier works going back to Gnosticism and old, old, old spiritual works and mystery works. So uh, we got some really, really learned assistance with those podcasts from a former OTO member and also from uh, Christian Zirko, not, sorry, not Christian, um, from Joe Zimhart. We talked later in the year uh, many times with Christian Zirko as well about cult recovery. So anyway, those were some pretty good podcasts out there. Um, and in May, we got to interview Mark Bunker about his new position on the Clearwater City Council and his plans and, and schemes with that. And of course, also in May, we started Critical Conversations. And this has been an effort to put a call-in show here on this channel so that you guys can call in and talk to me directly, talk to my wife when she is here with me doing that show. And uh, we have had a blast over the last six months uh, with some wonderful conversations with you guys and uh, covering some uh, pretty important topics, relevant current events and things, and all, of course, related to the mainline topic of my channel, which has to do with influence control and cults. Okay. Um, now, this is, of course, the in June is when news started coming out pretty uh, specifically with photographs around the country of Scientology churches being boarded up. Uh, this was New York, this was D.C., Dallas, Mountain View, Detroit, Pasadena, San Francisco, Chicago, Denver, and Sacramento and Buffalo. So this was interesting. And what was even more interesting is that they started boarding these things up in June and kept them boarded up for months. In some cases, they're still that way. And what we're hearing is that they are anticipating protests and they want to protect the churches against protests against black lives excuse me against black lives matter and about the more recently about the election and they think that there's going to be you know riots and a bunch of civil unrest which we don't particularly actually have any indication that that's what's going to happen, uh, certainly not nationwide. But it does feed into many, many Scientology conspiracy theories. And, um, you know, the idea of the deep state and even the idea of um, not the QAnon dogma directly, but a lot of the fundamental principles on the, which the QAnon dogma is built, and this goes also with 9-11 truthers, even with some aspects of Flat Earth, 
the real extreme conspiracy theory stuff is stuff that's old hat in Scientology. They believed in the deep state and the uh, the sort of control of the planet by you know twelve bankers or international uh, financier financiers and and power players and media moguls. And this is how Scientology imagines the world is actually run. And so, um, so they have a very, very interesting and different mindset than your average American or average person when it comes to their political views. It's, it's actually really quite something. And I've been out for so many years now that I can't even say what their exact current belief set is. Um, but from the bits and pieces and snips and snabs that you read about from their social media posts and you see from Kirstie Alley tweeting out at a, like, at a mad rate, um, you see this mindset that is quite uh, nuts. It's quite a deluded mindset when it comes to the, the worldview of who controls things. And this feeds into this boarding up these buildings. Apparently, this is these are the dots that we're connecting with this based on the data we have. So anyway, fascinating stuff. More important in June, on June 17th, and in fact, probably the best news of the year as far as uh, Scientology watching goes, is that Danny Masterson was indicted uh, on June 17th for three counts of forcible rape with a potential of 45 years of jail time as a result. Of course, June was also when we started seeing some massive protesting with Black Lives Matter, George Floyd's death, uh, completely wrongful death, obviously caught on video, and the uh, huge civil unrest responses to that, both with protests and riots and uh, the rise of uh, Black Lives Matter. And I started uh, speaking um, in... Uh, trying to, uh, you know, in no uncertain terms, point out that there were some troubling aspects to the organization of Black Lives Matter and not the movement of Black Lives Matter, and I tried to differentiate those two things. I found it fascinating that uh, more recently on Netflix, I have seen content paralleling or mirroring exactly what I was saying, and I find that interesting. Um, Anyway, so... Also, in July, um, it was quite interesting. This was really an interesting one. A couple of years ago, this guy named Justin Craig, who is an ex-convict, uh, came on the Scientology, the, the, the independent Scientology world, claiming to be L. Ron Hubbard reborn or reincarnated. And he, and he made these claims in all honesty. He put videos up. He started saying, I am L. Ron Hubbard. Come back. And here we go. And... Oof, Despite, I mean, just most incredibly, despite every reason you would think that people would not believe this, there were people who bought into it. Anyway, so this year, uh, Tony reported that uh, Justin Craig declared that Scientology is dead after he continued to get pushback from independent Scientologists who were losing faith that he was, in fact, the reincarnation of Scientology's founder. And surprise, what's Justin doing now? He announced that he was starting another venture he called Asperianism. Can't get him one way? Well, let's just roll it over into something else, change some of the language, and here we have a whole new cult. And that's how it's done. 
unfortunately, also in July, we had the tragic news of Kelly Preston's passing and of uh, Danny Keo's suicide. And Danny Keo, of course, was uh, Lisa Marie Presley's son. Those were both tragic losses. I was not in any way, shape, or form happy to hear about either of those. Kelly was quite fanatical as a Scientologist, but... Um, you know, she was a nice woman, and she tried to do good work. I um, I don't imagine that she was any worse than any other celebrity Scientologist. Um, certainly not at the level of a Tom Cruise. Uh, John Travolta's too nice a guy for that. You know, they are definitely down the extremism rabbit hole of Scientology, but they are not. Uh, Kelly and John, I don't think, were ever at the same level as a, as a Tom Cruise when it came to narcissistic abuse, and at least I've not seen any evidence of it. And Danny Keough, unfortunately, appeared to be completely overwhelmed by the Scientology upbringing and problems of life, but we cannot, and I mentioned this at the time and I'll say again, we cannot ever assume the causes for a person's suicide, even when they tell us what all of the causes are, there could be other factors involved. Not to say you don't believe people, I'm just making the point that it's a complicated issue, very, very multifaceted. And uh, from the education I've done on that topic, it is not something I will ever assume, oh, Scientology caused Danny's suicide. But I will say without any uh, fear of being wrong or, or questioned on this, that I'm sure Scientology was certainly a contributing factor. Okay, um, also in July is when we got word that Brian Seymour's 10-part series on Scientology that they was going to air on Australian news had been pulled mysteriously and suddenly, literally the day before it was to air. And Leah, Tony, I, many others have conjectured that, of course, this was influenced from Tom Cruise's camp and uh, whatever legal pull Scientology has in Australia to uh, make that happen. And uh, they will do anything to avoid their golden child, Tom Cruise, being painted in a negative light in the media. And uh, while Tom Cruise is doing his own championship work more recently to show what an asshole he is with that leaked audio that came out recently, um, this um, news story was squelched. Unfortunately, uh, though, good news is that we um, it did get released in August. <laughs> and all 10 parts actually did get released. And they all got out into the public domain before uh, a cease and desist and Tony had to take those videos down. So the transcripts are still up. You can still find those on Tony's blog. And I highly recommend that you check those out because Brian Seymour did do some championship work. It is not his fault that the story got pulled. Those are decisions that are made above him. Um, and the whole thing is just really stupid because Scientology needs to be exposed as often and as um, hardcore exposure as we can get. We need that happening. So um, ABC Australia, you guys are a bunch of pansy cowards, and I really um, don't have good things to say about you as an organization. All right, now, there was also, though, more good news, I guess you could say, in July. There was another high-level Scientologist busted facing criminal charges. Dennis Nob, a Miami chiropractor, 
Uh, Tony wrote, we had run into before because he had been suing for forcing Scientology. He had been sued for forcing Scientology on his employees. Now he was facing much more serious charges, including the charge that he'd misused a PPP loan. Um, so there was more coming with Dennis. Uh, actually, a bit later in September, uh, the case, uh, he was engaged in witness tampering, and that was being built up against him as part of the criminal case against him for this other nonsense. And he was ordered to await trial in jail, and then he dropped dead while he was on the phone with his attorney. Very, very, very few times do we get karma. But there it is. So, yeah. Okay, then uh, let's see. Other things that went down. This September we had, uh, oh, July, I should say, back up a second here. In July, at the end of July, I did what I believe to be the most thorough breakdown of the RPF, Scientology's uh, Reindoctrination, Reeducation Camp. I did on this podcast here a full, thorough breakdown, actually reading from the issues that L. Ron Hubbard wrote, or at least that have his name on them, and breaking down the entire program. So that was a, a bit of a bit of a tour de force. And um, in September, I did a QAnon podcast. Now, September was even more wonderful because it was the month that Leah Remini won her second Emmy for Scientology in the Aftermath. We were so happy to hear about that and contribute in our little way to that win. Um, that was a wonderful experience uh, being part of that. And also in September is when we finally got to in, uh, interview Kat. And she was someone who had infiltrated the Church of Scientology in Austin. And we got a real rundown from her on the things that she expected and the things that happened to her that she did not expect as a result of purposefully going into a church to report on it. Um, and she ended up making friends. It was a quite, quite a thing for her. Now, October is when my life changed radically. Actually, it was mid-September when the opportunity presented itself to be able to do a master's program in the psychology of coercive control. And that's a program that I am now signed up for and doing. I am at the end of my first term on that, or first um, trimester, I guess, and been having a blast. It has been a, an amazingly difficult, but... Uh, interesting, fascinating, and at, at times fun experience learning about uh, the very worst of what people do to each other, really, because coercive control ties into not just extremist groups or cults, but also gangland activity, uh, criminal activity, terrorism, domestic violence, interpartner violence, as well as uh, human trafficking. And that's been my world for the last few months. And I've been a uh, pretty deep dive down some pretty deep wells on these topics, uh, studying how people do this to each other and why. And um, I've been passing on a lot of what I've been learning to you guys. Of course, not all of it, because there's way too much. But enough that I think you guys have been kind of interested in what we've been talking about. Mostly that's been done on the Critical Conversation show. But there have been a few of these podcasts also di directly informed by the stuff I've been learning there. Um, so that has been a very, very fun and um, 
Yeah, I will say fun, even though, like I said, it's been challenging as hell. And then we finally come to uh, December here, right? And, uh, and of course, you see me skipping over whole chunks of real-world nonsense that I don't even want to get into in terms of all the stuff we've been commenting on all year long about politics, the presidential race, the Georgia Senate race, the other races, the election fraud, everything else. It's just been a madhouse of of contrariness <laughs> across the country. Um, let's see. December had probably the best and most notable thing that happened in December was the audio leak of Tom Cruise's rant. And we've gone over that on my critical Q&A show and on the Critical Conversation show. Uh, Tom Cruise is a disgusting narcissist. And if you think that that smiling face that you see on movie posters is the real Tom Cruise? Well, it's not. Tom Cruise is an awful, horrible person. He abuses people in his vicinity on a daily basis, and he is basically a scumbag. And that has everything to do with Scientology's influence on him and his um, ready acceptance of that. He has been worked over and worked on for decades by Scientology. He was the personal project of David Miscavige. And I don't know if he ever did or didn't have a chance of surviving that uh, by, you know, and getting out of Scientology. But uh, the path he chose was to embrace it fully, make David Miscavige's best friend, kick his uh, wife, Nicole, to the curb, and take the kids and uh, lie to them about Nicole and live a life of uh, where basically narcissistic indulgence, where it's all about him. He doesn't even see his own daughter. I mean, the guy's a scumbag. I've made that point many, many times, and I continue to make it because people just continue to be deceived by his winning smile. You know, it's like if you could see the actual ugly of people reflected in their visage, I think with it, that some people that we currently adore and admire would be seen as, you know, the devils that they really are. And unfortunately, that is Tom Cruise. So his leaked audio reflected just a tiny, the tiniest portion of what he is really like. And it was, as I've commented also, a relatively mild face ripping as we would call them when I was in the Sea Org. That was an example of the way I was talked to every single day of the week uh, for years. So uh, so that tape was no surprise to me. And that's that. All right. So let's, uh, man, what a year, huh? I mean, ups and downs, good and bad. Not a great year. I think we all agree that 2020 basically sucked. And I wish that I had better things for 2020. But, you know, we got derailed in a number of ways. And I did my best to, to make the best of it, to put the best content I could out anyway, and try to give you guys informative, entertaining, and educational material um, that would distract, you know, from and maybe help with what we were facing and what we were all having to deal with. I found a couple articles here that I wanted to go over with you guys as sort of a wrap-up for this year to sort of put a, put a pin in it and, and maybe see how we might move on to 2021 in a little bit better of a headspace, maybe. 
so let me quote here first from a uh, f- um, medical futurist article. This is from medicalfuturist.com. And they gave four things to have some hope in. And um, here's what here's what I'll here's what I'll quote from from this article. Devastating brush fi- bushfires, a deadly pandemic, living in lockdown while wild animals roam free in city centers, experiencing curfews and cuts on our basic human rights, nature's revenge on pristine lands, conspiracy theories, anti-vaxxer movements and clashes police brutality, protests, the rise of fake news and people who believe them, incompetent politics and hesitant scientific decisions, and other dystopian disasters. Before 2020, we would have thought this could only come up in the oversized imagination of a Hollywood screenwriter. But no, this is what we've been through. And honestly, I think we all have to lie back for a moment, take a deep breath, and unwind for a second. We've made it so far, and it wasn't easy, but there is hope. I'll tell you why. One, hope in science. The scientific public has reacted to the news of the virus at an astonishing rate. Have you ever thought that the genome of a virus can be sequenced within 24 hours? Not a single person would have bet on it before 2020, and still we have seen the enormous and concentrated effort that was put into vaccine development over the past year. And, of course, we had Pfizer and BioNTech on this almost be- as soon as word got out. And uh, we now have a vaccine. Vaccines. And it's happening. They're, they're being distributed. They're not being distributed fast enough. We've got a tremendous amount of logistics work still to do on that. But that is some reason to have some hope. There was also hope in good leadership. Now, Here in America, we can't really say that. UK, mm, not so much. But New Zealand, Canada, Iceland, Singapore, Germany, these are countries that actually did a a better than average job at protecting their citizens and using science and the institutions of science to... um, lead their make lead their policy making decisions and lead their uh their countries and that was that was a reason to have some hope because we need evidence based scientific rational thinking in the face of emergencies like this we don't need freak out and abandoning good principles for faith based nonsense we just don't we need science when we have scientific problems and we got science in some abundance this year Even if there was a lot of pushback on it, the science still came forward. And in the end, the science is what's going to get us through this. There is also number three in this article, hope in humanity. Now, this is the one I struggled with the most this year, and maybe you did too. The article says here, humanity clearly showed its strengths throughout the difficulties. Random people helping each other in shopping and support groups, lifting those struggling with challenges. People dancing on balconies and really caring for each other like never before. And messages of hope, love, and support soaring to medical personnel all over the world. This unprecedented wave of giving gives me hope that the future can be somewhat brighter than the past. And let's not forget that we'll be needing this soon when the next challenge arises. We all know of our global interdependence, a knowledge we should build and also rely on. 
And finally, number four, hope in healthcare. We now realize the importance of our healthcare systems. Before the crisis, there was already a huge burden on healthcare, and it sure wasn't high on the list of priorities by governments. Now it is. Due to better diagnostics over the past couple of years, the number of chronic patients has been growing at an astonishing rate, putting a huge burden on doctors in the first place. On top of this came an even worse adversary that was invisible, fearful, and deadly. And yet, medical personnel and medical systems were able to react in a matter of moments. They have been working tirelessly since the outbreak, often without sufficient protective gear and enough sleep, keeping the front lines of healthcare and risking their own lives to save others. Today, decision makers have realized that no society can live without well-operating healthcare. Maybe we needed a global stressful event that is a warning big enough for us to notice. So that is, again, from medicalfuturist.com, that article written here, uh, Why There's Hope in 2021. Okay, and then I wanted to leave with these four points, which I also thought was worth sharing. This is actually from Forbes. And uh, here you are. If you are reading this, you made it through 2020. Now, I'm not going to read the whole article, but I will paraphrase two these four helpful points that I thought might be good ideas. One, write a personal vision statement. You know, New Year's, New Year's resolutions are cliche as hell. And as the article goes over, we break them as quickly as we make them. But instead of that, maybe instead write down for yourself, where would you like to be in a year? What would you like to see things like in your life a year from now? And maybe look at what steps do you need to take in order to make those things happen? Now, obviously, the environment and random events can derail that. We had the idea, as we shared a couple weeks ago, Melissa and I did, that we were going to be moving to Spain in early this year, 2021. And we have been planning all through 2020. There were uh, things we were going to get done in order to do that move. It wasn't a move because of politics. It wasn't because of any one thing. It was because we wanted to make a move. We wanted to make a change. And, um, and I thought living outside of the United States would be an adventure that was definitely worth having. But um, COVID had other ideas. And so we had to give up on those plans. So had I done that at the beginning of 2020, you know, you got to roll with it. So it's not to say that the, the, the vision statement you're going to write down is absolutely positively going to happen. But what direction can you give yourself? What sort of goals can you establish for yourself? And, and what can you do to move forward towards those goals? Any of us can make some goals and any of us can do something to push the ball down the road towards them. And I recommend taking some time to clarify for yourself where and what you want to be doing. Uh, that's more than just a New Year's resolution. It's more than just making a very strong postulate. <laughs> and it's good advice. Another thing, and this goes hand in hand with it, and this is something that I have been and Melissa has been working on over the last couple of months in our relationship, is find an accountability partner. Nobody can do it alone, and I'm quoting from the article here. Not even you. So take your personal vision statement and find at least one person to share it with. It can be a family member, a friend, coworker. The key quality this person needs is the power to help hold you accountable. 
that person will need to honestly challenge you and determine whether you are really staying committed to your vision or alternatively, if you're, if you're thoughtfully re-examining it. The role of an accountability partner isn't just to motivate you, but to also help you achieve your goals by serving as a thoughtful and clarifying counterpart. So choose wisely. The next one is commit to a community. And I think now more than ever, this is something we might, also, we might all want to look at as how do we go about this? How can we do this? Because community really is everything. And, you know, a lot of us have been struggling with Zoom and trying to keep up with people or trying to stay in touch with other people. And I think some of us have lost contact with or lost touch with people who were quite close to or important to us. So community is a big deal. And beyond, as I'll read here from the article, beyond a single accountability partner, all of us benefit from being part of a community that is greater than ourselves. In the past year, all of us have had to adjust to an era of physical distancing, but that doesn't mean we should be truly distancing ourselves from one another in the communal sense. Okay, so however you do it, that's something to put some attention on, I think, this year. And finally, and this is also something that I have um, successfully been doing with Melissa, and it has really saved our sanity over these last few months. You know, all of us have been going a little stir-crazy. All of us have been having a hard time. So, you know, plan some fun. Let's be honest. 2021 is going to start out pretty rough. While vaccines are coming and perhaps the political landscape will cool down, we aren't out of the woods yet. But that doesn't mean there won't be joy and wonder in 2021. So just as much as you should plan on some personal growth in your 2021 vision statement, you should also plan on experiencing something that makes you smile and laugh. Maybe it's taking up a new hobby or embracing a new habit. Perhaps it's even planning a COVID-conscious journey to somewhere new later in the year. As unpredictable as 2021 might mean, you need to adjust your plans or reschedule your journeys. But if you don't start planning, it won't start happening. And there you go. So, folks, that is my wrap-up for this year. Uh, There was, uh, you know, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of craziness as we went over. I'm going to keep open and hopeful eyes on the future because I think that's a choice I can make. I can be nihilistic and pessimistic. I can be really nihilistic if I want to. Uh, And I could talk about all the doom and gloom, and it is easy to go there. Uh, In fact, as far as I can tell from the studies, it's four times easier for us to go there than it is to go to our happy places or our optimistic places. But I think that um, I think that's a better place to be. So that's where I'm going to say I am this year as we roll out 2021. I'm going to be getting through this university program this year. That is the major goal that I have. I've got some big goals and plans after that, but I'm going to keep them to myself for now because I have the unfortunate habit of overpromising and underdelivering sometimes, and I don't want to continue that. So if I have any New Year's resolution this year, it's to stop doing that. <laughs> and I think all of us know what I am talking about. So this year is going to see the completion of my master's program. I am going to get through this thing come hell or high water, and I will finally have some letters after my name. 
Um, what else this year has to bring? I am hopeful that there will be some speaking engagements if we can start making that happen again later this year. I am hoping that there will be um, more publication news in the later part of the year, and I'm hoping for other things too. But that's what I that's what I've got as my sort of uh, faux vision statement right now to share with you guys. Thank you very much for all of the support you guys have given me over this year. It has been a rough year for all of us, and I know I have lost some people because of the financial and economic hardships that we're all going through. I get it, and I don't blame any of you guys at all for uh, not being able to continue to support the show as some of you have been. On the other hand, there have been um, some new annual membership signups and and new Patreon signups this year that have been absolutely wonderful and have made a huge difference to me and my life and my ability to keep this channel going despite the university studies and other uh, bull bait, I guess you could say, of this year. So I want to give a big, huge year-end shout-out to all of you who have supported this show, uh, past and present, and I want to encourage anybody who can to continue doing so or newly sign up on Patreon or through PayPal. You guys have been awesome, and you have literally kept these lights on and the phone lines open and the show going here, and I want to thank you for your support. All right, guys. Let's see what 2021 is going to bring us. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.